Blog Talk Radio. So probably not the best uh, venue for that. 
Okay, so anyway, so this month's column, uh, this is actually the 115th column that I've written, uh, at least that was published. So I've got quite a few in my archives at this point since I started doing this back in 2003. So this month's column, again, was a new column. It's called Getting Punched in a Box. I've always had a very strong ability to remember a good amount of my past history in great detail. This includes childhood memories, some that even go back to when I was three or four. I have times when I remember things out of the blue. Often this can be a trigger from a song or a smell that sets the memory off. It's almost like I access a memory file that was buried for some time. When I was between the ages of nine and maybe 11, my friends and I would often play dodgeball, volleyball, badminton, and other active games in my friend Pam and Ricky's backyard. They had the biggest yard for this, so it helped increase their popularity in our neighborhood. We would often play her 45 records on her record player when she brought it outside. So many of those 70 songs, when I hear them, trigger these and other memories. Songs like It's a Miracle or Mandy by Barry Manilow. The last song by Edward Mayer or Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves by Cher still bring back happy nostalgia. As kids, we especially loved Dizzy by Tommy Rowe. And we would sometimes play it and just spin around wildly until we were literally dizzy. In exhaustion, we would fall to the soothing grass and laugh. It was fun to push our bodies to their limits, and the limberness and quick recovery of youth made this a far easier proposition than my middle-aged body of today. The childhood test of building strength and feats of pushing our limits grew in size and complexity along with our bodies. We set up obstacle courses, jumped from rooftops, and did stunts on bicycles and skateboards, never questioning society's standards of what a boy or a girl shouldn't be doing. There was a comfortable and unquestionable mix of girls and boys that I hung out with before the teen years of puberty and puberty began to shift some of this dynamic. We slid at times on asphalt or off skateboards and roller skates, scraping our skin, nearly getting knocked out, and somehow we survived all of it. During my childhood, protective helmets and Gear were rarely a priority in the late 70s and early 80s. The things we did would likely seem insane to parents of children today. We live in a much more protective society when it comes to children. I'm not completely sure whether this shift in society has made us weaker and less resilient or somewhat wiser. I recently remembered a game my friend started playing when I was about 12. We always got excited when someone in the neighborhood got a new dishwasher or refrigerator. Now, listen, we couldn't give a damn about any of those appliances, but we creatively saw the potential of that huge cardboard box. Often, it would become a clubhouse or simply a box to play in when we came up with any number of ingenious games connected to this big box. One day, we had the brilliant idea of putting one kid in the box, it was open at the top, but you would be enclosed by four walls and the base. Once inside, we would take turns punching the crap out of the box as hard as we could. The kid inside would have to dodge the blows to see how long they can endure the assault. 
we made rules about how to play the game. But there was, of course, always one kid who would start violently kicking the box or would throw rocks over the top for another level of assault. He would eventually even get nuttier by suggesting we maybe grab a baseball bat or something worse. Unfortunately, we never crossed that line, though. We had standards, of course. The funny part of this was the pain of getting beaten up and even badly bruised by staying as long as you could inside the box and handling the blows was actually an honored win somehow. We would even argue and fight about whose turn it was to be in the box. It was almost equally exhausting punching the box, too. Looking back on this twisted memory had me laughing. I realized that we did this game a number of times, and it was one of our cool things for a while. But boys and girls have different ideas of what risk is. They often actually overlap. Go with times when we push the envelope and enjoy the adrenaline of risk. Our individual ways of dealing with risk and competitiveness can actually be seen clearly in our natal astrology charts. The sign on the cusp of the fifth house, or especially planets in this house of life, show our style and whether we do this aggressively or cautiously or another way. The fifth house shows us our potential for risk, romance, gambling, play, competitiveness, creativity, children, and our capacity for showmanship. All these things may seem different. These potentially increase our adrenaline and our ability to stretch our limits. We feel alive when we take risks. We risk approval when we perform, create something, flirt, or even have children. We have to inevitably put those children out into the world for societal review. We hope to get good reviews. In a deeper sense, a life with no risk is no life. There is a, familiar, a similar feel to the fifth house with people with strong Leo placements in their chart. Television and movies are rife with examples of a fascination with risk and potential reward. Shows like Discovery Channel's Naked and Afraid, or game shows where contestants eat gross things or compete in challenges for money, fame, and hopefully both, are abundant. Sports are the myriad of different forms are appealing to watch, and we understandably marvel at how athletes push their bodies to the limit and show off their skills. Karaoke, or being in a play, as well as public speaking, all give us an opportunity to perform. People work out to show off a strong, hot, uh, uh, hot body and beauty, typically bringing better treatment from the world around us. Skiing, race car driving, and even enjoying horror movies all push the envelope of risk in various degrees. As in some people obsessively improve the inside and outside of their homes to be the best on the block, perfect lawns and beautiful flowers and trees can be part of our show. The line between showmanship and risk is blurry. Far, far more connects these two things and separates them. In my natal astrology chart, I have three planets, Mars, Uranus, and Pluto in my fifth house, all in a Virgo conjunction. My playfulness, competitiveness, and creative skills have always been a big priority for me. I, of course, do it practically, methodically, and often, after lots of practice, inevitably very well. 
in true Virgo style. I gamble once a week, but use a lot of math calculations to do so, which helps minimize house advantages, notably. The work of math actually feels like play to me. We all need to risk sometimes. Life can be dry and sterile without a bit of this. Hopefully, as we get older, and maybe we do this with a bit more wisdom than the crazy, reckless explorations of our childhood days. Whatever your style of risk and how you get adrenaline is likely perfect for you. Humans and animals are meant to play and feel the flow of risk. It helps us keep us happier or better at enjoying the healing power of laughing more when we can look back on our dumber times of risk. Whether our past risks worked out or not, the benefits are numerous. Our performances likely get better each time. We get stronger, more confident, and braver each time we take a risk. So, who's ready for a fun game of getting punched in a box? Okay, so that's my column. And, you know, I actually had another column kind of set to talk about uh, Saturn's retrograde in uh, Capricorn right now. Um, that's actually likely to get pushed to early September at this point. Uh, but, um, you know, I kind of decided to write this column, one, because I had the memory uh, and it kind of popped into my head and I just was laughing when I remembered it. It's just one of those weird things that I really do remember doing as a kid, and there were all kinds of weird things I could I could elaborate. And, you know, and I, I, I strangely enough, I get I often get a lot of positive feedback uh, about my writing when I include childhood stories. Uh, I really, probably more than almost anything else. Uh, people seem to like that. So, you know, I like to interject these once in a while. Of course, I'm going to throw in some teaching and stuff to give you some insight. So it's not just going to be playful and funny. I'm going to throw something into the game here that will give you some insight. That's kind of the nature of my Sagittarian sun sign and, and having a six in my numerology birth path number as a teacher. But I just felt like something, you know, a little on the lighter side would, would be nice uh, at this point. Yeah, There's just a heavy energy in the world, a lot going on politically, socially, you know, I mean, sometimes you just need a little breather from, from the cuckoo that, that surrounds us. So I like to kind of dot that along the way with some of my writing. Um, so, yeah, this this thing kind of, just kind of popped into my head, and I, and I was laughing you know, when I, when I remembered it. That's funny because most of the females I know when I mention this are just like, what world were you in, Jim, that uh, your friends did this? Even though, again, like I mentioned in the piece, there were a couple of girls that did this along with me before the puberty stuff changed that whole dynamic. Uh, tougher girls that enjoyed the fun of pushing the limits a little. Um, but, uh, you know, but I, I've actually a couple of friends, you know, that weren't friends when I was kids, but males that I know are like, holy crap, man, I did that too. I remember doing something like that. But it may not be as strangely outside the box as, as one would anticipate. But, uh, you know, we all have different degrees of this, at, you know, at, at one level or another. You can almost track this in, in terms of, of some elements of childhood progress. Uh, you actually can walk through uh, the five, the 12, there's 12 houses in astrology. They're called the houses of life. And let me give you kind of a brief description of this and, and get you to the fifth house. We won't go through all the houses, obviously, time-wise, um, but I would like to comment to this and give you some good insight that way. And I, I do hope to write about this in more detail because it is a kind of smart way of looking at um, how astrology works. So 
you know, when you do when you look at an astrology chart, one of the reasons you want to know birth time is because this way you're setting what we call the ascendant or the rising sign in place. The rising signs change approximately every two hours. So if you don't know your exact birth time or within a decent range, uh, yeah, that's a little bit of a frustration with an astrology chart because you're not going to necessarily get the the uh, the ascendant clear. Uh, you know, also laying out the rest of the houses in 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 actual you know, proximity to where they are. Um, good astrologer can do what's called rectification, and often if he works with a client and see them, because we tend to look a bit like our rising signs, um, you're going to get. Uh, you can often kind of piece it together, uh, even if you don't know the exact birth time. Interestingly enough, that's how exacting astrology can be. But uh, so there's hope if you don't have a birth time. Um, but, you know, the first house in astrology, uh, your rising sign and the planets there, will typically show, like, the style of your personality, you know, your who you are, the way you come into the world, your body, personality, the way you affect other people. Uh, you know, if you're, you know, Taurus rising, that's going to look very different necessarily from Pisces rising uh, in terms of even your physicality and your disposition. So if you look at that from, like, a child's perspective, when a kid's born, you do first thing is you realize you're in a body. You become aware of, of how you impact other people when you cry or you laugh or you talk or you communicate or, you know, so this is first house stuff. Um, progressing a little, as you get a little older, you know, typical um, for childhood development is, you know, even sometimes before the age of two, but certainly by that point, you become aware of stuff. Second house. Second house is the house of acquisition. House of what makes you feel secure. Uh, you know, giving a baby a pacifier, giving a little kid a nickel, uh, you know, uh, giving kid a, you know, giving kid pudding, uh, you know, a meal, getting him a good nap. These are all elements of the second house in astrology. So they have to do with what makes us feel secure, what we establish, what we have, what we gain, and kind of get a natural Taurian sort of feel to this house, even if Taurus isn't, you know, on the, the cusp of that house. Um, but it's the feel of it. So the second house is the house of acquisition. Uh, third house is communication, knowledge, information, expression, ideas, uh, short journeys, uh, brothers and sisters, cousins, uh, schooling, basic learning. Um, again, if you follow me along here, you can see this sort of a progression that happens during childhood in a way where you become aware of these things bit by bit. Um, you know, ninth house, tenth house matters have no relevance to a three-year-old. Uh, but, you know, third house matters have relevance to four-year-olds three-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, and, and really ultimately for your entire life, potentially. So third house is that, communication, knowledge, learning. And listen, we go to school. We interact with neighbors, siblings, people around us. We learn how to communicate. Third house, we learn potentially the joy of acquisition of information and learning and what communication brings us. Fourth house in astrology is the home and the family. It's your rootedness. It's where you come from. It's your retreat. It's your home. It's what makes you feel secure. Um, it's our ethnic origin. So I was going to go with ethnicity, but I know I'd screw it up. So we'll say ethnic origins. Um, how big is your family in relation to other people on the block? You know, how, uh, you know what, what type of culture did you come from? Do you have a mom and a dad? Is you, do, you have a lot of, do you have a lot of siblings? How do you feel about your home, your family, things of that nature? This is the rootedness. Uh, again, you can almost see a natural progression here. A two-year-old is not as concerned with that perception of my family and how do I fit within the structure of my siblings and my only child. What is my relationship to my mother? Cusp of off in the fourth house. 
um, again, where do I stem from? Uh, what's my rootedness? What makes me feel safe at an emotional body kind of place in terms of where I come from? So fourth house. Now we step into the fifth house, and this is what I was kind of mentioning in the piece. Now the fifth house is the house of risk-taking. It's adrenaline. It's the house of performance. It's creativity. It's play. So again, you know, two-year-olds generally aren't necessarily creative yet. Uh, you might be able to give them a pencil or a pen, piece of paper, and they might draw something, but most of them are not inclined to think of it in terms of wanting to create art yet what kind of impact that would have on others. So this is a big part of the fifth house, which is that idea of, of risk-taking and adrenaline and what I was ultimately talking about in this piece. Uh, we all approach this in different ways. If you have Capricorn or Saturn, um, you know, more, you know, cooler uh, more cautious planetary influences, you're, gonna, you're not going to be as inclined to be risk-oriented. You might do it, but you're going to do it practically or cautiously. If you have a planet like Mars um, in, in your fifth house or Aries on the cusp or in the energy of the fifth house, you're going to have a much more aggressive tone and style to how assertive you are around creativity, around risk-taking, and adrenaline. One of the easiest examples of this is, again, listen, in a very, very real way, you know, the first time as a kid, you tell a joke, someone laughs at you, you tell a funny story, you become aware of your impact on an audience, even in a one-on-one -on -one way or a small way. You're either going to love that or it's going to scare the, the hell out of you at one level or another. Um, and could either be something you avoid or, or it becomes more addictive. You know, one of the most obvious examples of this is, is you know, not just play itself and the risk involved, that can come with play, fifth house, and creativity, but also um, romance. You know, fifth house is not so much about sex. It's about, um, it's about the adrenaline of, of play, of interacting. Uh, you know, at a, at a more adult levels, we would talk, we would call it the house of foreplay. It's more about the performance of it, the playfulness of, of interacting with another human being. When you're, that you're attracted to, that you want to show off to, that you want to get to like you. So, you know, little kids are certainly not looking for real sexual, you know, experiences when you're, you know, 8, 9, or 10 years old. They shouldn't be anyway. I mean, little exceptions to every rule. But as a general rule of thumb, it's more like you, you, want, to, you want to please, the, the, uh, you know, uh, some of your friends and make them like you. And make, if you make them laugh or you're cool or you have money and you can uh, make them like you that way or you're attractive. And, and it's the whole dance of, you know, whether you're, you know, uh, straight or gay or bisexual, whatever your sexual orientation is, it's uh, whether it's an opposite sex or same-sex thing, it's the dance of, of, of the adrenaline of, of interacting, of flirtation. You know, one of the things that we even find as, as adults is when you do get in a relationship with someone, often one of the things that can die in long-term relationships is this part of us, this playful part, the part of romanticness and flirtation and, and, and pushing that limit. It's often one of the more enjoyable attributes for, for many of us of, of early dating and experience anyway is, you know, finding out who you like likes the color blue too or likes the same movie or, you know, also likes, uh, you know, Italian food or, you know, it's the, the risk of, of putting yourself out there, of finding out um, what that play is all about. So 
in all these examples, you know, and I had mentioned in the piece also that, you know, as an interesting note, the House of Children, of course, shows itself as part of the way we, we do the fifth house. Actually, you know, small children are not having children, obviously. But even as adults, when we do have children, listen, I always jokingly say that is ultimately the biggest art project you're ever going to do. You know, you, you sculpt that child over years potentially and mold them hopefully in good ways. Um, you dress them. You put them out into the world. You, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, again, you give them an education. You teach them right and wrong and values. And then the kid's going to be out in the world and judged by others, and, and you know, in, in multiple ways. And if you're a functioning parent, your hope is that you get Nods of approval. Good job. Your kid's really cute. Your kid's good looking. Your kid's funny. Your kid's smart. Your kid's really, you know, wise. Your, you know, all these different capacities that we can be searching for. Uh, but talk to any parent, you know that it, it's, it can feel like a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a game of craps there in that sense, <laughs> in terms of risk. So, what I was kind of bringing up in the piece is. You know, we all are going to do this again in different types of ways. Um, that's what's what's really interesting about really getting a thorough look at an astrology chart, because the, your way of doing it is going to show pretty clearly in your astrology chart. That's not a mystery to good astrologers. It's going to show the way you necessarily do things, um, and uh, it, it is interesting to, to know you know how that plays itself out. You know, if you have a planet, again, like Saturn in your fifth house, um, you know, stage recognition, acknowledgement, you know, getting adrenaline, getting applause can be uncomfortable or something that you prefer, that you'll get more comfortable with later on in life. You're not initially going to address that, that pull with more aggressive planets, uh, again, like Uranus or Mars uh, uh, will, or even the Sun, uh, not a planet technically, you know, it's just it's a reference to astrological things in our universe. Um, well, much more bearing. And, you know, and by the same token, uh, if you have no planets in that house, often it's not that you won't have romance and creativity and play and risk-taking, but it's going to be probably lower on your scale of importance. Uh you know, it, it, it's not that you're going to be missing it. Whenever there's no planets in a house in astrology, we look at the sign on the cusp of the house. That often gives us a feel for the way the house plays. So if you don't have planets in your fifth house, but you have Pisces on the cusp of your fifth and, and occupying much of your fifth, Pisces' ruling planet is a Neptune. That would mean that you have a Neptunian feel about how you play out the fifth house energy of risk and performance of romance and gambling and play. So it's not going to be completely missing, but you, you'll notice it in, in characteristic people that have more fifth house energy are going to be more aggressive about it. You know, that's why I had mentioned in, in this piece, in, in my natal chart, Uranus, uh, Pluto, and Mars are in a conjunction, Virgo, all in my fifth house. Now, I've got to tell you, um, I'll explain a little bit about what that means, um, but when I learned astrology and I realized that, that was a huge relief for me to understand that. I've always been, I have a very high priority toward play, even as a child, um, and risk-taking and games and, and performance and things of that nature. It's something I have always done. You know, I've been doing radio for many years now. When I was a little kid, 
I used to do pretend radio shows with my friends, and we'd record them on tape, and we'd have different roles, and we'd pretend we were on the radio, and we'd play songs like we had on a radio station. I mean, you got to laugh. I, you know, when I was, uh, we got into my 30s, I started doing, you know, quote-unquote professional radio. So, and I've been on many different radio shows throughout my life. It's pretty easy for me. Uh, so, you know, uh, I've done television. I I went to college for um, advertising, art, and marketing. <laughs> so I surprised people. If you're ever in my home office, you'll see some of my artwork. I'm actually a pretty good artist. I love doing karaoke. I love singing and, and, and performing. And, and many of us hated it when I was a kid, by the way. Scared me. But um, I, I ultimately grew into it. So, you know, it's very funny because I, I was telling a, a friend a story recently that I had I had made a, a, a new friend recently, and and uh, he had invited me to a party at his house, uh, and uh, and I had gone, you know, and it was going to be like a game night with a number of people, and they were going to play this game called Cards Against Humanity. And I had never played the game. I'd heard of it. Many of you might have heard of it. I never actually played it, but so, of course, I'm willing to. I'll learn, and we go, and it's like, you know, it's about six or seven people, and we're playing this game, and, and this new friend of mine didn't really know me well yet, and and I said to him right at the beginning, I said, hey, just so you know, I won't lose. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I'm pretty, really good at games. I always have been. Well, you never played it. I'm like, no, you don't get me. I'm pretty, I'm pretty competitive when it comes to game playing, and... Uh, so he laughed, and then we're halfway through this game, and uh, it's a very entertaining game. We're halfway through the game, and he looks at me, and he says, you know, the whole point is how many cards you have. You know, the winner is who gets the most cards. And so some people had none. Some people halfway through had one or two cards. The guy next to me had three, and he said to me, how many cards do you have, Jim? And I said, five. And he just looked at his friends. He said, I don't care who wins the game as long as Jim Ventura doesn't win. <laughs> I'm so annoyed, Scorpio. And I laughed because, like, I loved that. That reminded me of my childhood when I played games with my friends. Like, I, that's, that's the line I'd hear. I mean, a lot of times I'd be playing a game like, don't let Jim win. Jim's totally manipulative. He always figures out how to win. Don't let Jim win. And uh, I just always took that as hysterical. So, you know, here I'm in my 50s, and I get someone to say that to me now. you got to laugh at, at the cosmic flip back into time. Uh, and then I did, I won, although most of them just bowed out and quit halfway through. Uh, but uh, I'm just, like I said, I'm good at games. You know, all these planets, Mars, Uranus, Blue, they're all Virgo for me. So it makes me very methodical and meticulous. When I was an artist uh, in college, I couldn't, like, it was just fascinating to me that people could do abstract art. You know, just take paint and throw it on the canvas. I love that people could do that. I absolutely am not an abstract artist. If I draw something, I literally almost reproduce it where it almost looks like a photo. This is how meticulous I am. Virgo feel. Mars and Virgo, Uranus, Pluto and Virgo. So uh, I can get into more detail, but it, it, is, it is funny when you look at these different dynamics of, of how you're wired. Now, I don't have the sun in my fifth house, and, and that would be that my whole life would involve this. Uh, by, by any means, I definitely don't. You know, I uh, had a buddy years ago that his girlfriend was a model, and uh, she had son in in her her son in Libra in her in her fifth house, and she was she was very um, uh, very attractive physically, 
very, uh, you know, very amicable, very easygoing type of disposition and personality. But she did, she did modeling, and she did things that really in the public eye, in that way, very not strange for someone with son in the fifth house. You'll find dancers, and you'll find performers, and you'll find people that have that as part of the wiring. So again, funny piece, but I was trying to sort of teach as I normally do, whether you like it or not, that uh, <laughs> that uh, that uh, you know, your your fifth house in astrology is a place of risk and game playing and romance and, and, and creativity and children and all those things that we ultimately do that, that bring us life force and vitality. The other thing about this that was funny when I was writing this piece is I do, I have such a weird, I catch this a lot when I talk to clients. Like when I mention their childhood, I run across a lot of people that say to me, I don't remember very much of my childhood at all which is just trippy to me because I remember tremendous amount of detail from my childhood and then have, again, like I mentioned in this piece, weird times rather blue. I just remember something in, in great detail. Um, now I know why that is. Uh, having learned numerology, I have a, what's called a 44 personality number. Um, that's common. It means your mind acts like a, a, a computer bank in a way, and that's what it's like. I've got these stored memories. And I've joked before that because my memory is so strong when it comes to a lot of my past history, like I've tortured my brothers and sisters with vivid memories of embarrassing and dumb things that they've done. <laughs> Just to torture them. I was like, I can't believe you remember that. You know, I mean, let's bury that 13-year-old, you know, that one I was 13-year-old story. But by the same token, where it has been benefit to me is um, when it comes to clients, like even if I haven't talked to a client four or five years and they come back to see me, um, I often remember quite a bit about them, uh, which surprises them. They're just like, I can't believe you remembered that. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, it's weird. It's almost like when I talk to someone, it sort of loosens the files, and, and I remember. So, you know, here's the thing. There is a value in, in remembering elements of your childhood. One, because of, uh, obviously, the humor parts of it, like, like I talk about here. Um, the other part of it is, listen, a lot of our... You know, a lot of our current experiences stem from emotional and patterns from our childhood and beliefs that were formed during our childhood. So there can be a real value in that if you know where something stemmed from. Otherwise, it ultimately becomes kind of unconscious. Uh, you know, and, and getting in touch with that and remembering it can sound like it's a bad thing. I didn't want to remember that I went through that traumatic experience, but... Oddly enough, more often than not, remembering it gives you a chance to face it, maybe feel anger or sadness about it if it was difficult, and then potentially release it, um, shifting gears in your present. By the same token, in more positive sense, we sometimes can remember talents and skills and abilities that we naturally showed when we were younger, when we might have been more comfortable with our creativity and didn't have it you know, mangled by, you know, family or society or fear or anything else for that matter. So there's multiple reasons for value that way uh, in that respect. So I think that's a, that's key to remember. Again, people have different degrees of how their memory works. Uh, some people are much more fluid with presence and paying attention to detail that way. But there is, again, some, some real value uh, with this. So, you know, I always sort of feel like I'm I'm having some, like, you know, private party, even at times when I'm by myself or I remember something, I'm at the gym, like on an exercise bike, and I'm just laughing because I remember something. 
you know, it's just my own twisted memory patterns. The other part of it is, I, you know, I have Uranus, the planet Uranus in my fifth house in Virgo. You know, Uranus is where you're eccentric, where you're iconoclastic, where you're odd, where you're weird. So, um, you know, no surprise, uh, I do enjoy shocking an audience from time to time. Uh, just stuff that comes into my head is insane that I think of at different points. And, uh, you know, when, I, when I'm doing it well, I make people laugh. And it just pops out of nowhere. And uh, it's very Uranus. It's fun to kind of track where Uranus is in a natal chart for that reason, because it could show what area of life you have that kind of brilliance, that eccentricity, that oddness. If it's again, like with me in the fifth house, it's going to be in, in your house of performance and creativity. Um, and uh, But if it's in your, your ninth house, philosophy and travel it could be you know changing a philosophy throughout time to something completely unique or enjoying traveling and doing things other people would never even attempt to possibly do uh you know so each house of life can show those characteristics again one of the many values of astrology is understanding all of these things so again you know what i what i really wanted to point out in this piece and, and bring up for my listeners to be aware of is remember that you know uh, too much risk can, can end up potentially causing problems because we might push the envelope a little too far. But remember, a life with no risk, as I say in the piece, is no life. We do have to feel, you know, the, the, the adrenaline that comes with risk from time to time. You know, and, and it can be good to do it in, in, in small ways. Um, you know, I used to, you know, joke, you know, at the show uh, Walking Dead has been on for, I think, like, like nine years now. And I remember, like, when it first came on, it was on for maybe about four or five episodes. I never watched it just because, like, the thought of watching a zombie show was like, please. Plus, I'm just one of these people that's like, I don't get scared by anything anymore. I'm just 54 years old. There's nothing that really scares me. I'm very confident for the most part. So I watched it, and it was really well written and, and all those things. And, and I watched one or two episodes, and, like, there were a couple of scenes in the show that were, like, genuinely, you know, heart attack material. <laughs> it's humorously like it was generally scary to watch what they were going through and imagine living that type of thing. And I just remember the absolute feeling of delight that I remember what it felt like to be scared a little. You know, like that's been such a distant type of memory thing for me. I, I can think back to, you know, being a, a young kid when it came to flirting with someone or making a new friend or taking risk. It would scare me so much now. Now, you know, I'm, you know, too Sagittarian in that sense. I can talk to just about anybody and nothing really scares me. And, you know, I just, I just, like I said, if I want to talk to someone, I just talk. I don't care if you're a model, if you're rich, if you're famous, if you're, I don't give a, I mean, nothing to me. Everybody's got, everybody's different and everyone's the same as far as I'm concerned. So all the stuff that scared me when I was younger really, really doesn't in a lot of ways. It's just like I'm, I'm much more fluid with things like that. You know, that's why I joked in my younger days when I was, I wanted to be slutty. I just would take someone out of the crowd practically. <laughs> Mars in the fifth house. I'm going to charm you and I'm going to take you. I mean, did not have that power when I was in my early 20s. You know, something that grew with time, very Virgo. It can feel like it can take a while to develop expertise or ability. So, all right. Anyway, so, yeah, you know, um, check out where, where what planets are in your fifth house. Check out what... Uh, um, you know, what, what uh, signs are on the cusp of your fifth to get some insight. You can look that stuff online, up online yourself, and, and do your own research and read books. 
you can hire an astrologer, if that's what I do, and have him do all that work and explain that to you, and, and that's a perfectly legitimate thing to do because, uh, uh, you know, good astrologer is going to make it a lot easier than the amount of work that can go into figuring it all out. But you also can do it yourself, you know, if you're willing to do that. And there's so much value in really understanding astrology, not only just understanding who you are, but also, like, just understanding other people and how they differ. It will really affect your relationships in a positive way. So, running out of time here, still got five more minutes, so I want to mention something completely out of, uh, on a different tack right now, as I said it was the beginning of the show. We are currently in a uh, Mercury retrograde in Leo. We'll give you guys a little bit of quick insight into that. You know, Mercury retrograde, Mercury is the planet that rules communication, expression, information, exchanging ideas, computer equipment, appointments, everything connected with communication. Mercury. That's, that, that's, that, that's Mercury's baby. That's the area. So when Mercury goes retrograde, appearing to go backwards, and actually technically doesn't, but appears to go backwards, we go through this period for about three weeks where communication gets a little screwy, people from your past show up again, um, you know, you heard, you thought you heard one thing and it was something else. Uh, you know, Mercury retrogrades can make travel a little more difficult, computers go a little wacko, and the more of the stuff with, with communication in any degree can be a little bit off pattern, let's put it that way. Now, don't get caught up in any worry about it. It's a normal process. You know, more often than not, think of it more as like reevaluating a previous position or point of view or relooking at something. It's what a retrograde is really about. Um, in this case, this particular Mercury retrograde is in Leo. So I don't anyone listening to my show, I don't know where Leo is in your nail chart um, specifically, but what I can tell you is some basics that will give you some insight. Now, Leo represents a part of us that is giving, generous, uh, creative, playful. Um, you know, Leo is a fixed fire sign, so it's loyal. Leo's often looked for applause, for recognition, for the natural creativity, and like to be seen as a generous one in some ways. Um, there's a natural playfulness to Leo that could be very contagious. So Leo's at their best have a very kind of solar-type feel about them that shines. So the good news is, listen, Leo is somewhere in your chart. You may not be a Leo, but somewhere in your astrology chart, Leo is going to be sitting. That area of life, you're going to be a little Leo-like. So if it's in your relationship house, seventh house, you know, you're going to have, your relationships are going to feel a little bit Leo-y in the tone. Uh, you know, if it's in your money house, it can indicate that you do the type of work or make an income, you know, that has a Leo feel about it. So... What it's doing for everyone is think of it this way, guys. Like when Leo, Mercury's retrograde in Leo, you're going to be reviewing your own creativity, your playfulness, your performance, who you are, the show that you put on in some area of life or multiple areas. So it can be like really looking at old creative skills and abilities that you had buried or put aside and looking at doing them again or um, seeing the value and where having a little risk and playfulness and creativity can be beneficial to you. So that's what the process is about, just as a general rule of thumb. It's going to, you know, it can make you very much clearer about getting excitement about how you perform, how you take risk, how you shine that way. It can also get you pissed off if people are not reacting the way you wanted them to in that sense. So there can be, you know, a little bit of struggle. Be careful that you're communicating to others what it is that you want, as opposed to assuming that they know that somehow, or that's what they, you should get. The negative pole of Leo is like pretend, where you're making something up in your head. You're writing a script that no one else got a copy of. So, 
that dynamic can be occurring during this period. And, and it, it goes direct, I believe, um, August 1st. So uh, we just got another two more weeks of this, but it is a good time to review. Okay. Of course, I can talk a lot more about that. Don't have the time for it. We're running out of time here. Uh, so I'm going to finish up today's show. I uh, hope you enjoy the column read. Again, if you're not already getting my monthly column, just email me at mentorsage at yahoo.com, and uh, I can answer to the monthly it's free, it doesn't cost anything, and it will also give you access when I occasionally run specials and things like that if you choose to, to get a personal session with me. If you're interested in any of that, website's jimventure.com. Go over to that place. You can get any insight into the books I have, uh, what the cost is of, of, of one-on-one sessions with me, whether here in my home office in Phoenix or by phone, because a good 50% of my clientele are by phone now. Uh, it's just practical reality. Uh, but uh, otherwise, um, I will be back realistically again next month. Um, we were doing an added show about creating prosperity. I might be bringing that back up in the next month or two also. We'll let you guys know that. Again, most of that info is going to come out in the newsletter. So you kind of know what's going on. But uh, wishing everybody a happy summer. That, uh, that good stuff connected with the summer. I'm in Phoenix. I'm not really a summer kind of sucks here. <laughs> But uh, there are some benefits. Uh, anyway, great talking today. Uh, everyone have a good one, and we'll catch up with you next time. Cheers. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.